This is episode 524 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, I have a special interview with Dr. Joe Alton, also known as a Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, this episode is sponsored by Audible. Now, Audible Books allows you to listen to the best books when you are on the go. I love to listen to podcasts and audiobooks and learning while I stay busy doing other things, especially getting ready in the morning and driving. Right now, Audible is offering two free audiobook downloads when you join Audible for a trial period. And if you choose not to stay with Audible after the trial, you still get to keep the audiobooks. So for more information, click the link in the show notes or go to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com forward slash audible. All right, everyone, before we jump into the interview, I just want to just let you know that uh, thoughts and prayers are going out to those of you listening from Alabama and the, the tornadoes and the issues that were uh, that went through there this week. I, I've been meaning to mention that throughout the podcast is just uh, or this week, and I just haven't just because things were so crazy when I was getting ready to do the podcast for me. And uh, just wanted to also just a shout out to those of you up north, because I know that y'all are being just hit big time with serious, extreme cold weather. Uh, we're ex- we're experiencing cold weather down here for uh, for Houston in March, you know, dipping down into the high 20s. That's kind of crazy. But I know that you guys up north are really getting hit. And so uh, thinking about you guys as well, I hope you're taking precautions as always and that your preparedness is getting you to think about, you know, thinking about things ahead of time, right? Uh, you're seeing the forecast, you're hearing about those types of things, you're preparing ahead of time before you actually get hit with the cold weather so you can make adjustments. And from what I hear, that's going to continue. We still have a little bit more of that. So if you're listening to this podcast uh, here recently as I'm recording this, so uh, you know you you know that you are up north, you're dealing with it. If you're listening to it afterwards, just remember that you always want to be prepared ahead of time. So when you hear about it coming, you know whatever it is, weather related, whatever it might be that we prepare for, that you are already there, that you just need to go into action. You just need to move into your plan. So I just wanted to say that as we move into this interview. All right. So uh, the cool thing about this is that this is a two-parter interview. So today we're talking about uh, medicines to stockpile for SHTF. And I specifically contacted Dr. Bones. And you guys know that, I mean, I talk about Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy uh, quite a bit. Uh, the one book that I always recommend that everyone should have is their book. That's the number one prepper book that everyone should have in their library is their medical sur- survival medical handbook. I mean, that that is it. I, I always talk about that. And so when I think about preparedness and I think about anything medical related at all. They are my first go-to people, uh, probably really my only go-to people in, in this category. I got to tell you, I know these guys, not just from the internet, from email and stuff like that, but I've been able to spend time with them and uh, they're really genuine people, love hanging out with them. 
And I love what they do for the preparedness community. So I asked Dr. Bones specifically to talk about medicines that preppers would want to stockpile. If you couldn't go to the drugstore any longer, what kind of medicines would you want? So right now, if someone gets sick and you go to your medicine cabinet and you don't have what you need, you can very easily, you know, unless you live in a very small rural town, you can very easily get into your vehicle and and be somewhere. And even if you live in a rural setting, you can still make it somewhere, you know, within that evening, you know, within an hour or two and get back to where you need to, you know, to your home or whatever, so that you can give medicine to your sick child or to your spouse or whoever needs it, right? Uh, and, And you're able to do that. But if you were in a SHTF situation, if you couldn't get to the drugstore, you couldn't get to Walmart, you couldn't get to, you know, any other big box store, What kind of medicines would you want and why would you want them? So like I said, this is a two-parter. So uh, we're going to talk about medicines and stockpile today. And then on tomorrow's podcast episode, we have another topic. It's very similar, but another topic that you're going to want to hear as well. And so I'm going to stop yapping. I'm going to go ahead and go to that interview. I know that you're going to enjoy it. So guys, this is my interview with Dr. Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net. Well, Dr. Bones, thanks so much for joining me on this interview. Uh, I really appreciate it. A lot of people, a lot of listeners know that I read your articles all the time on the podcast. I struggle with all the medical terms. I, I suffer through it. Everyone is, is uh, uh, very gracious on that. But uh, I love that you're here and that I'm, I'm going to get to talk to you face-to-face. And so uh, before we get started, I want to ask you this question. Are you a legit doctor? Absolutely. You know that I am an actively licensed medical doctor. I'm a fellow of the American College of surgeons. I'm a life fellow of the American College of OBGYN, been uh, in the medical field for, well, let's see, since the year 19, I entered medical school in 1976. Oh, ow, that's painful. <laughs> and and actually actively licensed um, when I graduated in 1980. I've been, uh, gosh, delivered thousands of babies, done thousands of surgeries, and even though I'm retired from from the active practice of medicine, the laying on of hands, I still absolutely make sure I maintain uh, my license actively in our home state of Florida. That's great. Okay, so just for the sake of the interview, um, Nurse Amy, is that just, you know, is that something that she just, no. is, she, is she legit too? I mean, because, you know, we... You can be anybody that you want to be on the internet, and I read your articles all the time. I just want people to to know. I mean, I know, right? I know the truth. But I I want you to share that as well. I want people to hear it from your own voice. I have to tell you that Amy has as many initials after her name as as I do. I'm Joseph Alton, MD, FACOG, FACS. She's Amy Alton. ARNP CNN. That means that she's an advanced registered nurse practitioner, that she's a certified nurse midwife. And that means also that she has kept her certification, her license is active as well. So we really feel that it's important for uh, credibility purposes to maintain an active license. I don't have to. I mean, if, if I didn't, they, they would still call me doc for the rest of my life, but I feel strongly and I have to go through all the 
courses and testing you have to do every year or every two years uh, to maintain that license. But I just think it's an important thing to have. You're right, right. And so I, you know, that's great because when we're when we're talking about what we're going to talk about today, it's great to be able to hear it from a professional because I know there's a lot of articles written on it and uh, on this topic, but hearing it from someone who is a professional uh, just makes it so much better. So let's go ahead and get into it because I really wanted to talk about, um, you know, about medicine and stockpiling medicine where that, you know, why preppers would want to do that and the different types. So starting out, you know, why should a prepper want to store medicine? Well, for the same reason that the average citizen would want health insurance. I mean, they don't want to get sick, but they want access to treatment. For the prepper, the same reason that they would want to store food, water, a means of defense. You know, as preparedness folks, we have to have an awareness of the issues that would accompany a really major disaster. I mean, issues with water, food, shelter, maybe even air, and my ballpark, medical issues. So, you know, you'd think that everybody would have this kind of awareness, but the truth of the matter is it's limited to maybe three or 4% of the population. It's one of the saddest things. And one thing that I have been really spent, you know, my entire post-active practice career doing is, is trying to get people to be more prepared in the face of disaster. My mission, actually, to put a medically prepared person, at least one of them, in every family. Now, the average, that's a problem because the average citizen just doesn't think about things about like, uh, like how to purify uh, water, how to cook food thoroughly enough if you didn't have, you know, of course, modern conveniences, how to remain warm enough or cool enough, enough in, in an off-grid setting. Nobody thinks about this type of thing. And they certainly aren't concerned enough, if they're not going to think about that, to prepare for things like epidemics of infectious disease, wound infections that would occur it would inv invariably occur as a result of doing activities to which they're just not accustomed. Uh, activities of daily survival. I mean, things that would be a challenge for every family in the face of a calamity. I mean, I don't know about you, but I probably would injure myself if I had to chop wood for fuel on a daily basis. Uh, so these are things that people should think about. I mean, the, maybe the most common preventable cause of death in survival settings would be things that you could have easily prevented or treated, things like cholera from bad water, uh, dysentery from contaminated food, things that, wound infections, things that would kill tons of people, many more people than in a gunfight at the OK Corral. Hopefully you're not going to have those on a daily basis uh, in a survival setting. Uh, but you will have concer concerns about bad food, bad water on a daily basis. So everybody that's interested in disaster preparedness should be interested in medical preparedness. They should develop the knowledge, the skills, the training to get the supplies that are necessary to save lives in times of trouble, and that includes medicine. Completely. I, I, when I think about uh, preparedness, when I first got into preparedness, I, you know, I, I looked at all the different websites and there was a couple of different ones that hit right off the bat. Yours, I think, doomandbloom.net was like the third one that I wound up hitting. And the reason being is I know that it's pretty easy to figure out how to do fire and build a fire and cook and, and all those different things about preparedness. But um, I tend to think short term and also long term as well. And long-term, you know, being that, hey, there's not going to be modern medicine and stuff like that. So 
I, you know, I feel that it is very important to be able to have more medical knowledge. And that's why, that's why I love what you do. And I've tr always tried to promote what you guys are, are doing. So Thank you. <laughs> sure. I, I mean, mean, really, it's a privilege and we, I, I can't tell you how blessed we've been to have so many people that have supported our mission and, uh, and actually have taken the, taken on the, uh, picked up the flag and taken the role of medic for their family. Yeah. Well, uh, I just appreciate it. And the thing is, is that, you know, we have spent time together and those that are listening in, in, uh, to the, to the podcast and watching the interview, um, you two are the two of the nicest people that I, I know. And so I, I love what you guys are doing. So move, moving Ditto. forward, Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> moving forward with medicine, talking about it. How should um, how should preppers gauge how much to store? You know, we talk about storing so much water, so much food, but when it comes to medicine, they're coming in little pill bottles and you know first aid supplies and all that kind of stuff. I mean, and we're, I know the focus is a little bit more on on medicine here. So, how much should we really store? You know, I'll tell you what. I wrote an article about that because it is since we put out our latest book, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, it is the, one of the questions that I've gotten the most from in emails, on, on Facebook, and in all our social media. And so I wrote an article on this as it pertains to antibiotics, but we can talk about it as in, in general with regards to any medicine. I mean, in my article, I could have said, well, you should have uh, 100 penicillin pills or 20 amoxicillin pills or, or made other guesses, but the truth is, the truth is, is that there are a lot of factors that go into determining the amount of medical supplies that you're going to need and, and medicine that you're going to need. And so let's go over just a few of these. This is, bear with me on here on this. Uh, first, what happened? What disaster took away modern medicine and made you the medic? I mean, in terms of the types and quantities of medicines you're going to need, the aftermath of a storm, very different from, say, an epidemic, right? I mean, that's not to say that a non-disease event couldn't cause an epidemic in Haiti, an earthquake, uh, gosh, a few years ago, caused so much damage to the infrastructure that a cholera epidemic ensued. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're, the question is, if you're, are you worried just about maybe the occasional wound infection? You know, if you are, then the amount of, let's say, antibiotic medicine you would need would be much less than if you were more concerned about every member of your family becoming sick as a result of an outbreak of the plague. Mm -hmm. So that's a big, big difference in terms of the amount of medicine that you need. Now, next, how long would it take for modern medicine to make a comeback? Now, some of these things are, you know, we, we read about or you know, we watch on TV about, you know, the walking dead and you know, pretty much permanent societal destabilization, but that's not always going to be the case. And, and in most cases, the truth of the matter is, is that if you have a disaster, the truth is maybe it's a storm, a hurricane, or a tornado that knocks out the power for a week or so, but the likelihood is that you're probably not going to need a huge supply of medications other than to deal with injuries and things that occur as a result of, of the short-term disaster. And of course, if you have water for purification tablets, then maybe you don't have to worry too much about bad water. But if the disaster is an EMP from a nuclear detonation 200 miles in the atmosphere, you might be off the grid for decades. And so your amount of medicine you need is going to be a lot more. Now, another factor to consider, how many people are you responsible for? 
That is a big one because the truth of the matter is it's going to be more than you think because there are going to be people that are going to show up at your doorstep and you're going to, I mean, sure, you know, everybody says how, oh, I'm turning them away or I'm going to shoot them and eat them, you know, for dinner. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that you're just not going to, you're not going to refuse your eight-year-old niece that shows up at your doorstep. You're not going to refuse the guy who uh, went, uh, was your best friend in college. I mean, you, there are a lot of people that you just can't refuse. And so you're going to have to take that into responsibility. And unless you're a jack of all trades, you're going to need people that have other skills, skills that are going to help you increase your chance of survival. If I show up on your doorstep, are you going to turn me away? Yo, of course, uh, knowing that I'm knowing that I'm a doctor and I have these medical skills, or or Amy, for example, you probably aren't, you know. But but let's say since we travel a lot and we speak a lot of different places and we do classes in a lot of different places, well, you know, many times we're traveling, but we don't have all of our preps with us. We don't carry every single prep with us, and so therefore. You know, we wouldn't have that much to give you other than our skills, but yet those skills may be very valuable to you. And so that's something that's important. You have to count on those people. On, on, you have to count on more medicine than the people that you're ordinarily thinking you're medically responsible for. Uh, and of course, you, it depends who you're taking care of. I mean, is everybody in your group, everybody in your family, a young person? Are they all totally robust and healthy? Uh, you know, if your survival group is loaded with, you know, young kids or elderly folks or somebody has chronic illness, you got to be storing the right medicines and you got to be storing them in larger quantities. And of course, your environment's important, poor quality of air, water, food that make makes people sick, you might need more medicine for that. Uh, let's say if it's uh, bad water, you know, anti-diarrheal drugs, you may need a lot of those, you know, but if your water is, you know, pretty much reliable, then you wouldn't. I mean, if you're, let's say you're in, in a terrain that's steep and rugged. I, I've been in uh, some Bahamian islands and that land there, especially along the shore, is basically jagged. It's like, it's not volcanic rock, but whatever it is, it, if you walk on it without shoes, you are, you're going to cut yourself. You know, if you're walking anywhere near the beach and uh, uh, you got to have the materials that are going to deal with the terrain too. If the terrain's steep and rugged, you're going to expect a lot more injuries and you're going to have to have the medicines to deal with that. Uh, one last, I, I bear with me, one last factor, how good is the medic? How good is the medic? The medic has to have the ability to recognize things like bacterial versus a viral infection. Okay, so this is something we we've written about and on the on our website and and of course in our new book. But what happens here is that a lot of people see any kind of infection and they throw antibiotics at it. Matter of fact, it that's not even not I'm not talking about survival scenarios necessarily. I'm talking about normal times. One in three people that go to their doctor with a respiratory infection uh, actually have a bacterial infection. Only one in three. The majority have a viral infection. Yet most of them leave their doctor's office with a prescription for an antibiotic, something that would do absolutely nothing for them. If you're the kind of medic that would throw antibiotics at everybody who has an infection, well, 
you're going to go through your antibiotics pretty quickly. You cannot use them like candy. Uh, another, one more sign of a good medic, assuring proper sanitation and hygiene. You're not just there to deal with the boo-boos. You are there, and injuries, you are there to do preventive medicine to save you a lot of headaches and maybe some heartache if you can do that. If you, if you allow, let's say, the latrine for the group to be built 10 feet from the local water source, well, you know, you're going to have contamination. You're going to have disease that's going to follow that. Uh, if you don't supervise the purification of water and uh, make sure the food is prepared properly, you're going to have to deal with a lot of uh, intestinal issues. So the truth is, I have to say, there's no single answer and that exists as to how many medicines that you should have. I wish I could, I wish I, I could always throw out a number, but the truth is, the only thing I can say, it's probably more than what you have right now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, I, it, it boils down to one of those things where you have to put a little bit of work into it, a little bit of thought, a little bit of planning. Um, you know, I think sometimes people want, just give me the number and I want to go get that from the store and put it in my closet and I'll be good. But the truth is there's a little bit more to it than that when it comes to preparedness planning for, for everything, food, water, but even medicine. And you brought up a lot of great points on that. So, uh, yeah, that's something that we need to, to work with and struggle with and to really think this through. So before we talk about medicine to stockpile, um, if we could only have one medicine, what one that would be the, you know, I, I know it's not the end all be all, but if there was only one that we could stockpile, what, what would you say? What would that be? If there was one product that would prevent the most disease, I would actually say that would be water purification tablets or some method of purifying water. I mean, seeing how many people die from bad water in, in scenarios. Well, I mean, let's look back at our own history. Civil War soldiers, how many died from disease caused by bad water and contaminated food that compared to those who died from bullets or shrapnel. I mean, it's probably a two-to-one disease versus uh, battlefield injuries. Uh, but that's not technically medicine. We're not going to call that medicine. I, I, I would have to say antibiotics. And this is one thing that people don't really pay too much attention to trying to accumulate that I think would make the most sense for people. Uh, there are some natural products that have antibacterial effects. I support the use of honey, for example, as an antibacterial agent. Garlic has antibacterial properties, but they don't probably, they, in my opinion, don't probably don't reach the effect that pharmaceutical antibiotics have. So you should have a supply of those. You know, what would cause the greatest number of illnesses and avoidable deaths, avoidable deaths in a long-term disaster scenario? An earthquake occurs and a fissure opens up and you happen to be standing where the fissure is opening up, you're probably going to go to the Earth's core and that's it for you. But, but you know, infection, you can nip that in the bud. And so there's a lot of stuff that you can do. And the thing is, is that we have very little issues with infectious disease outbreaks now. But in the past, especially in the American South, you know, we had things like yellow fever, we had malaria, things that you don't consider to be a disease in America or an infection that you see in America. Well, once very common, there were yellow fever epidemics all over the place in New Orleans, if you've been to New Orleans, and Florida, and southern part of Savannah, you know, all sorts of stuff. 
Uh, just walk through any old, any old cemetery and read the inscriptions. You're going to see all sorts of people, children, women, young men who died well before their time. I mean, most of these people were, were they weren't run over by a car. They didn't die in a plane crash, and they weren't even killed in battle. They had some infection that killed them as an infant or a toddler. They had maybe some infection after having a baby if they were a woman. And with the advent of antibiotics, you see much fewer gravestones that have little lambs and hearts and angels on. Uh, before, you know what I would like to say, though, is could we say the same thing? Can we say the same thing if we were thrown off the grid? I mean, we have no chance of accessing the miracle of modern medicine. Only we'd start using, losing these people again mm -hmm. unless you have antibiotics. And so that's, you know... That's my thing. I'm talking about that a lot lately because, of course, I'm making shameless plugs for my new book. But the truth of the matter is, is that it is something that would make a lot of sense. And I have been writing about it for about 10 years. So uh, it's something that I really think would be useful, useful to have. Great. We're going to talk a little bit about robotics here in a little bit. Um, so something that's a little bit, and we'll, we'll talk about maybe where we can get antibiotics and, and things like that. Before we move there, what about over-the-counter medicines that preppers can easily stockpile? Can you give us maybe seven to 10, you know, whatever you think, different uh, over-the-counter medicines that we could go right now that we can purchase and, uh, and what, you know, why we would want those specific ones? That's an awesome question. I'll tell you, over-the-counter medicines deal with a wide variety of problems. And the truth of the matter is most of them started off as prescription medicines. And the great thing about them is that, as you say, they're widely available, easy to accumulate in quantity. And that is ideal, uh, just basically what the survival medic, exactly what they need. They need something like that, you know, something that they can get in the quantity that would make a difference in a long-term situation. So. Um, you have to realize that manufacturing pharmaceuticals is different. These are going to be nearly impossible to produce after a collapse. So, uh, you know, even aspirin, which is the oldest manufactured drug, I think 1884 or 1886 was when it was first uh, manufactured. That's not going to be available, at least in a form that you would recognize. So let's talk about some of the ones that you're talking, that you would want me to recommend. One, number one, ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Uh, Motrin, Advil, or some of the brand names that good pain reliever, anti-inflammatory, fever reducer. Uh, it's useful for a lot of different problems, and uh, it makes it useful to stockpile for arthritis, uh, for injuries, traumatic injuries, strains, sprains. Uh, it can help reduce inflammation due to a lot of different causes that are not trauma-related. Uh, ibuprofen is also useful, reducing fevers, of course, from infections. The, the downside is that it can cause stomach upset, but it does that only in some people. Uh, Tylenol would be an additional one. Another popular pain reliever and fever reducer uh, can be used for all the problems that you take ibuprofen for just about with the added benefit of not causing stomach irritation or thinning the blood, which is something that uh, ibuprofen can also do. But it does not have the anti-inflammatory effect that uh, that ibuprofen does. It's excellent for the treatment of pain and fevers in children, especially in its lower doses. Um, aspirin, we'll go down the pain relievers. If 
if you have ibuprofen and acetaminophen, uh, Tylenol, that is, in your medical storage, why would you consider aspirin? That seems like a sort of redundancy. Well, the truth of the matter is it's a good anti-inflammatory. It's a fever reducer. It's a pain reliever. But it has blood thinning properties as well. So you might have some people that are on Coumadin or some other kind of blood thinning medicine, but that run out of it as a result of it not being manufactured anymore for some disaster. And in that circumstance, you're going to want to have something that they could use instead that would have some blood thinning capacity and aspirin would be good for that. Also, it would be good uh, to help people uh, prevent uh, coronary uh, heart attacks. Uh, if you take uh, baby aspirin on a, on a daily basis, it's known to decrease your chances of heart, heart attack. Uh, if you're having a heart attack, and having chewing full aspirin would actually, uh, a full adult dose of aspirin actually may help. Uh, of course, I mean, heart attacks and things like that are pretty problematic in survival situations. No, a little, probably a little too complex to talk about today. Um, loperamide, locus call, uh, a brand name is Imodium, very useful. High likelihood of food and water contamination issues. I mentioned that a million times today. Um, so you got to have that medicine essential as an anti-diarrheal medicine because if you can slow down the intestinal motility, you're going to lose less water from the body and remain hydrated longer. These people who got these in, in the Civil War, they didn't die just because there was a bacteria in their body from bad water. They died because it caused so much water loss from diarrhea that they became dehydrated and without, of course, the availability of intravenous rehydration, well, they died simply because they got too dehydrated. Um, can I, can I interrupt you there? I know imodium comes in many different forms. There's the liquid form and there's the capsule form. So which form would be the best to stockpile? I want you to use the two, two milligram capsule, capsule form or, or tablet form make a lot more sense because it will last a lot longer. Medicines that are in liquid form or in general don't last as long. They lose their potency relatively quickly. The, the, uh, I've talked a lot about expiration dates and when a medicine is in a pill or a capsule form, it tends to stand the test of time if stored properly. Uh, dry, cool, dark places. Uh, it stands the test of time better than uh, most liquid medicines. So for that reason, oh, if you have the opportunity to choose between a capsule or a, uh, or a pill or a liquid, I would choose the pill or capsule every time. So that that I think is important. Perfect. So talking about diarrhea, you wanna, you're going to have nausea and vomiting too. That also causes people to become dehydrated and you may lose people from, from that if you can't rehydrate them intravenously. You want to have something like meclizine, that's also known as Dramamine or Antivert, comes in a couple of different uh, doses, uh, I think 25, 50, I think it was 12.5. Uh, it's a medication that helps prevent nausea and vomiting, it helps deal with it, used use to prevent motion sickness, uh, dizziness, uh, acts as a sedative as well, so if you need somebody to calm, to, who's maybe anxious, needs to calm down or needs to sleep. Well, you know, it may be a very helpful medicine to have around. Triple antibiotic ointment. I'll go back to infections and you're fending for yourself. You're going to be, as I said, chopping wood, doing all sorts of weird tasks that you don't do on a daily basis right now. 
And if that's the case, you know, those you're going, you're, you're going to injure yourself and any injury that breaks the skin puts you in danger of infection. Almost everything's going to be a dirty wound and it could lead to a life-threatening situation. So if you have triple antibiotic ointment applied to the site of the injury, could help prevent this from happening and is certainly good as a preventative after, let's say, closing a wound or after washing a wound. It's a good thing to maybe put uh, on top of that in an effort to decrease infection. Uh, respiratory infections. These are going to be very common as well, of course, they're very common now and they're going to be common then. So you're going to want maybe uh, things that will help you with that. So uh, decongestant like uh, phenylephrine, I think might be a very useful item to have. You're going to have a lot of people that will, could use that. Uh, Benadryl, uh, diphenhydramine, that is very useful. Uh, that's an antihistamine that helps alleviate the itching, rashes, and, and helps nasal congestion too, and all sorts of other symptoms of allergic reactions. It also helps um, to sleep. It's a great sleep aid at the 50 milligram dose. So use 25 milligrams if you're dealing with uh, some itching or rash issues, and use 50 milligrams if you want to help people sleep. Uh, hydrocortisone cream, very useful, 1%, uh, used for all sorts of different skin conditions. So uh, itching, flaking, thickening of the skin, redness. It's a mild, mild steroid, reduces inflammation, so very helpful. Antacids, very useful, uh, calms, calms heartburn and queasiness, stomach upset. Calcium carbonate uh, will last forever, essentially. It's a, uh, if you get it in, in like Tums or Rolades, the, the little um, pill fat, the tablet fashions, you know, the chewables, they will last for a very long time. Um, antifungal agents, you're, of course, there are bacterial infections, there are also uh, fungal infections as well. So you have to realize that you, there are different medicines that take care of those than take care of bacterial infections. So athletes' feet, uh, ringworm, jock itch, vaginal infections, things like that. Uh, you want uh, things like uh, clotrimazole, Lotrimin is the brand name, I think, uh, myconazole cream, monostat. These are useful things to have. And I think also, well, I'll do one more, multivitamins. Uh, that sounds a little strange. It's not really a, uh, considered a medicine. But, you know, if there was a true collapse, the Unavailability of really a good, healthy diet for so many people is going to cause problems with deficiencies, deficiencies that we don't see in the United, in the United States, certainly things like scurvy, which is a vitamin C deficiency, a, a vitamin B12, uh, a vitamin B deficiency, beriberi, a, a lot of crazy deficiencies occur when you don't have a diet that has these vitamins. So Maybe having multivitamins might be a good thing. I wouldn't take them on a daily basis. They're not necessary to take on a daily basis. Truthfully, you excrete most of it in your urine. But uh, maybe on a weekly basis, if you were in a situation where you knew your people weren't getting the kind of diet that they would, that would ordinarily keep them healthy simply because of the situation. So you might consider that. Sorry. Sounds good. You gave us a lot of different medicines there to look at. So, he asked for 10. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, but that's good because it's things that probably 
you know, there's things that we that we purchase at the drugstore or whatever at the big box store, and and uh, you know, we have in our medicine cabinet. But a lot of the times, we always know that we can go and get those things, but we're not always thinking about, like for instance, the anti-diarrheal. We're not looking at some of those other. You know, it's just like it's so quick to run and go get those. But you know, if you're in a in a SHTF situation, you wouldn't be able to to do that. And so having the idea to hey, you know what, I need to have some of these things already in place because they would make a big big difference. Kind of like what you mentioned there. So uh, you're you're absolutely correct, and these are medicines that they could last uh, you know a very long time if you if you store them right. Now, a lot of, I just wanted to say that the medicine cabinet in your bathroom is probably not the best place to store them because there's most, most of the time people, of course, take their showers and their baths there. And uh, most people like hot water and there's humidity that's more humidity in those rooms, in your bathrooms, than probably the rest of your house. So maybe that's not the best place to have your survival medicine stores. That's a good point. Okay, so let me ask you this, this question here. You, you brought up the idea of expiration dates. Every single one of those drugs, if you were to go get over-the-counter medicine, if you go get them, you, 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 know, you look at the, the bottle, you look at the package, it's going to tell you you have a year, maybe a little bit longer, depending on when you buy it. And then so, I mean, how long do they really last because you, you brought that up and of course I've been in preparedness for a while so I know the answer but it's still really hard for people to look at a package and get expiration date and say you know what I, I need to throw this away I mean I've heard all my life I need to throw these away they're not any good anymore can you talk to us a little bit about that absolutely good expiration dates let's talk about that what is an expiration date before 1979, you didn't have to have them on medicines at all. Most of them didn't have expiration dates, but the government decided that that was going to be the case. And so pharmaceutical companies had to come up with a day that would be the last day that they would guarantee 100% potency of the product. And that is all that an expiration date means. That means that if you take that medicine the week or month after, you're not going to grow a horn in the middle of your forehead or have parts of your body fall off. It's it, and actually, and it's likely that the drug will be a hundred percent potent for years after the expiration date. Now, how can I say such a thing? Some old country doctor just sitting here rocking in his old rocking chair, saying something so outside the conventional medical wisdom. Well, it's pretty simple. Before, no, let's talk. Let me say it this way. I'm sorry. Let's talk about the government. The government actually has warehouses where they have drug stores that are used in case of uh, a peacetime disaster of some sort and, uh, and need, need to take care of people. And it's part of our national emergency medical response to have this kind of stuff. Now, in the old days, when these warehouses full of these drugs they found lots that reached their expiration date. They would get the forklift out and out would go tens of millions of dollars worth of doses of different medicines and go right into the trash. Well, even the Department of Defense finally figured out that this was sort of a wasteful policy. And so they instituted a study and the study was known as the Shelf Life Extension Program. 
And in the Shelf Life Extension Program, they tested 122 of the most common medicines that were used in disaster responses. And they found that the grand majority of the drugs that were in pillar capsule form, pillar capsule form, if they were stored properly, were 100% potent for 2 to 12 years beyond their expiration dates. And this is not something that is just like some kind of rumor. This was a study that was published in the Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences in uh, July of, I think, 2006. And it's something that tells us that your medicines are good for a good long period of time. There was an additional report in which in San Diego, they they found a pharmacy that had, for some reason, blocked off a wall that used to be where they kept uh, a, a shelf in which they kept uh, drugs. The drugs they found there were 28 to 40 years ex- past their expiration date, uh, what, what would be their expiration date. And in the, that situation, they tested them for the active ingredients. And 14 of the 16 active ingredients were at 100%. Wow. As a matter of fact, some were at 110% potency because the fillers in some of the medicines had degraded, but not the active ingredients. So now it's not that I'm saying that they'll be good for 28 to 40 years, but definitely for, for a number of years after their expiration dates, you can count on most of your medicines in pillar capsule form to be 100% potent. And very few of them, the grand majority of them are, are safe to use. There's been talk about uh, tetracycline being an issue. In the 1960s, there were a lot, in the 1970s, there were reports of people with kidney disease uh, if they took tetracycline-type drugs one year after uh, the expiration date or more. And, and, and indeed, that did occur, but they did change the formulation since then, and they actually don't seem to have reports of that anymore. Now, that doesn't mean it that you should add tetracycline necessarily. I think doxycycline, another member of the tetracycline family, is a much better choice and is, I think, very uh, very useful for people to have and, and can be used as an expired drug. And the reason why I can say that is because the United States um, FDA actually issued an emergency use authorization for doxycycline when there was a shortage after a major military purchase Civilians were having trouble getting it, and so they, uh, the government said you can use your doxycycline for five years or more after its expiration date. They did the same thing with Tamiflu after the swine flu uh, epidemic in 2009. I, I bet a lot of people that uh, just heard that information are just loving it, probably also kicking themselves if they've thrown away a lot of medicine uh, you know, in in the past, but uh, that's really great for preppers to know that they can store some medicine and it's going to be good for for a long time. Now, now, normal times, I will say, normal times where you can call your doctor and get some fresh medicine, get fresh medicine, but think twice before you throw away the the older medicine. It might be useful uh, to have in your medical storage. Good point. Good point. All right, so let's say. We are in a true survival situation. We are whatever happens, right? The balloon goes up, the hammer drops, whatever. And we have used up all of our medicine and we have done all of that. There's no 
you know, there's no government, there's no medical supplies, there's no maybe the walking dead, whatever, right? And so, right. you know, we have family members that we love, that we care about, and we want to make sure that they are healthy and we can take care of them. What can a prepper do now to maybe see, you know, see that situation and be able to navigate that situation in the future if that was a scenario that happened? I'm really glad you mentioned this because I think that few people in the preparedness community really understand what it means to be in a true long-term survival setting, off-grid setting. No matter how many medicines that you actually are managing to accumulate, the likelihood is that eventually they're all going to be expended. They're all going to run out. And so in addition to getting more medicine maybe than you currently have, Everybody that is interested in preparedness should follow their ancestors' example and learn about plants in their area that might have medicinal benefits. You know, before there, there was a power grid, before there were pharmacies, even apothecaries, there were medicinal gardens with herbs that were used to treat all sorts of ailments. Now, I'm a master gardener for the state of Florida. I have gone through that program, but I don't claim to be an herbalist, but I do have a lot of herbs growing in my garden. I have comfrey, I have cardamom, cinnamon, I have a cinnamon tree, uh, bay tree, ginger. I have all sorts, all sorts of different herbs. And you know what? It doesn't take a green thumb to grow most of these. Most of them actually grow like weeds, honestly. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out the right place for the right plant. That's the master gardener creed. And, you know, get plants that are meant to thrive in your grow zone. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of strains that are being grown right now and developed right now that are more, let's say, heat resistant or cold resistant than the original versions. So it's important to have a, your own medicinal garden. As a matter of fact, in the Survival Medicine Handbook, our, our main uh, book, we talk about how to grow a medicinal garden and, and the importance of it. And, you know, so it's just like you would want to maybe grow vegetables and have vegetable gardening. Uh, you know, you really want to have an herb garden as well that would have some medicinal benefits. I'll bet there are plants in your own backyard right now that have some type of use in survival settings. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Bones. There's a lot of great information there, and it might be one of those episodes where you go back and you listen to it and you jot down some of these medicines and go and, and pick them up. And maybe you don't go buy them all at one time, but you know, you go to the drugstore, you go to you know a, a big box store, and you're like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and get this one this time, and I'm going to get this other one next time. And so you have these medicines available. Think about how powerful they will be in a true SHTF situation, think about how powerful it would be just to have the medicine with someone you knew, someone you loved, you know, was sick, and you're able to give that to them, even if it's not an SHTF situation, but you're able, you have the resources to be able to do that. And right now, you have that ability. Right now, you can go to the store and you can get any of these medicines right off the counter. So you definitely want to know which ones would be the most valuable for you. Well, everyone, that's it for this episode. Hey, don't forget to go check out doomandbloom.net. They have a ton of great resources over there for your medical preparedness information, as well as a great store that you can go and shop 
if you are looking for medical supplies, you can go do that over there as well. Doomandbloom.net. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. You can go check that out. I'm also going to link to an episode that I did earlier and so that you can go check that one out. It was like episode 38 and uh, I was listening to that episode and I was like, man, I was talking super fast and it was just seemed like a long time ago and it's only two years ago. But anyway, so I've done some different things since then. But if you haven't listened to episode 38 or it's been a long time, you can go check that one out. Back then, I was just asking people that uh, were in the preparedness community to answer some questions. I would send them questions and they would send it to me. Back then, I wasn't doing interviews. I wasn't set up for that. But now I am. So hopefully I can do this a little bit more often and especially tomorrow with tomorrow's episode. You do not want to miss that one. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 524. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.